to The Tenderness Revolution, a podcast about the stories of kindness, compassion and empathy that play out in our lives, because these deeply moving experiences describe what it means to be human and invite us into a new way of thinking about the world and each other. I'm your host, writer and journalist Yvonne Gavin. And every episode, I'll be asking a new interviewee about a pivotal moment of tenderness that helped shape the course of their life. I think uh, when when something affects one Ukrainian, it affects all of us. It doesn't matter where we live, whether we're in Ukraine or out of Ukraine. And I think so many of us as soon as we saw this escalating, we sprang into action because we are always ready in a way because this has been built into our history for Mm. years and years. This is nothing new for us. And I think the way, you know, we needed to respond is to the first thing I think was, yes, there was anger, but there was a lot of humanity with Ukrainians saying, please lean in, please, understand that we don't want this we've never wanted this we've always wanted our one piece of land Mm. we've we are a very humble and peaceful and creative country we are very generous to people who visit the country we will bring you in you are going to be our new friend and we're going to tell stories and that's just who we are and I think um the world has seen that even though Ukraine really hasn't been in the center of people's minds for much of its history, people don't really know where Ukraine is. I mean, they know now, but before (laughs) you'd have to explain that no, Ukrainians aren't Russian. We have a different language. We, We are a separate country. We are the country that produces probably most of the grain in the world. you know, we are, we have a rich history, a rich culture, a rich land in itself, you know, and, and I think people kind of knew that we are never really involved in any kind of scandal, really, there's no, we haven't been involved in anything where we are the aggressor. So there has been a a little bit of a consciousness about that. And then when this started happening, the reason why I suspect, in my opinion, that that countries are leaning in, even historically neutral countries are leaning in, is because they are seeing the humanity. It has nothing to do with wanting to fight in a war. They want to stand with us because they see that we're actually kind of cool. We're nice people, you know, we, we don't want any of this. And it shows like how this war is playing out. It shows like we're still playing music. We are still cooking for people. We are still giving even, you know, Russian soldiers sandwiches and letting them call their mothers because none of this is about who we are and even who Russian soldiers are necessarily. They may not know what they're doing because they've been conditioned in a way. So, mm-hmm. so I think <clears throat> it's wonderful to see everybody wrapping flags around themselves and starting to reread about Ukrainian history, reading Ukrainian um, authors who have written children's books and novels about Ukraine. There mm-hmm. are painters, musicians, dancers. All of this is now coming to the forefront. We are stepping away from 
the narrative where everybody's either angry or crying or wanting to fight or being overwhelmed. And we're saying, you know what, we can be the sanctuary. All of this art can be your sanctuary now, you know? I love Ilya Kaminsky. He's actually been one of the first um, Ukrainian artists who has really kept the lens trained on the words and the art and the feeling that, you know, art survives. It doesn't matter if there's rubble. If, if you are an artist, you will rebuild with, you know, the spirit that you have, mm. you know, it will, it, it it's just, that cannot never be erased. And I think that's the most important thing. Our country might be flattened, but we will rebuild with our words, our stories, our, our art. And I think any country would do the same. I don't think it's unique to Ukraine, but um, Ilya, yes, he is, he is one of my favorites. So I would be happy to read his, his piece. We lived happily during the war. And when they bombed other people's houses, we protested, but not enough. We opposed them, but not enough. I was in my bed. Around my bed, America was falling. Invisible house by invisible house by invisible house. I took a chair outside and watched the sun. In the six months of a disastrous rain in the house of money, in the street of money, in the city of money, in the country of money, our great country of money, we, forgive us, lived happily during the war. And that's, and that's a, it's, and what's wonderful about that poem is that it kind of echoes a little bit of what a lot of Ukrainians are saying right now who are safe and in warm houses, they have something akin to survivor's guilt. Mm. You know, I, I have had moments where I'm sitting here thinking, I need to get on a plane. I need to do something. I, I'm not doing enough. I'm very happy here and I have food and I have heat and hot water. And, and there are people in Mariupol and who are just have nothing. And it feels awful, but, but we have to use the privilege that we have to acknowledge that and then keep going for the people who are running low on energy and inspiration, mm -hmm. you know. I think uh, you notice that when, when all of these emojis started appearing and the, um, the gifs started appearing, before, when you put in Ukraine, it was just a flag and, like I said, some guy in a tracksuit eating a sandwich, <laughs> um, which was so random. But I was thinking, you know, but that was because nobody really understood what or who Ukrainians were and what they embodied. Now, suddenly, social media is awash with messages of love and support, and the, the GIFs are all blue and yellow hearts and doves and and again you know young women standing in traditional vishivany sorochka the shirts yeah there's no there are no mess there are no gifs of of tanks 
guns, weaponry, uh, or even messages saying, you know, let's win this war, Russia sucks, all of that. It's no. even if you actually, even if you actually put in um, Putin's name in the search, Ukrainian flags will still come up. Mm. So it's, there is a shift in that, in that kind of really compassionate way where people are turning towards humanity. People mm. are trying to understand the decisions as to why some of these soldiers are doing what they're doing. They're not just taking from face value saying they hate us, they're all evil. Russians are not. It's not an us versus them narrative. Mm. You're all, it doesn't matter what language, whether you speak Russian, Ukrainian, you are still, if you live in Ukraine, you are Ukrainian. So I think the, yeah, it's, I, I think it would be really easy for human beings because it's a survival tactic, probably mentally and, you know, to other yeah, yeah. as a country because it makes it easier to compartmentalize what's happening. Oh, they're evil. They need to be killed. These guys are better. These guys need to win. Yeah. It's just human nature. And I totally understand that. But before that starts happening, all of these Ukrainian creators and writers and all of these really passionate Ukrainians, even ones who have enlisted in Ukraine, who used to be teachers and doctors, mm. they are not saying we are better than them. They are all offering compassion. So mm. we very early on adopted this, hey, this is the mission for us. Here is the, the long-term goal for the world to understand is that Ukrainians are a peaceful, humble people. You know, there is no othering happening, even though it's quite common. This is why an aggressor, can pull off something like this is because he or they, whatever group this is, can other people and yes. condition yes. their citizens mm. to say, look at these, they are this, this, and this. Mm. You know, they are different from you. They are not okay. You go deal with them. Mm. Mm. Because that's how you can take the emotion out of it, which is the opposite of what Ukrainians are doing, which is amazing. This whole wave of compassion is being spread throughout the world, you know, mm. through our it's everything, through our stories, heart, hearts, the way we talk about Ukraine. It's just mm. incredible. when Ukraine gained its independence finally in 1991 and Soviet Union broke apart, it was this lasting insecurity that Russia had and will continue and continued to have. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter who was running the country, no. you know, so Ukrainian, the Ukraine, Ukrainian presidents actually were just plants. Up until Zelensky, right. the Ukrainian presidents were just being used by Putin as like somebody that he can control. They're so just, Ukrainians really pocket. didn't have somebody. Mm. No, uh, Ukrainians really didn't have an advocate until Zelensky, bless his heart, got in in 2019. Yeah. Um, you know, and he wanted to change the government from within. And yeah. that is a massive threat. Yeah. Correct. to yeah. how Putin wants to run 
his country, but also his plans mm. to bring back the Soviet Union mm. again. He wants the USSR back. But uh, and his this act of aggression is basically not just resentment, but it's a show of power to the mm. West saying you're going to regret not inviting me to the table. Mm. Mm. And he is has convinced himself that this is what's needed. He has convinced him and his people about this lie, um, unfortunately. And I think I am all about forgiveness and I am somebody who does not hate anyone. I, I can vehemently dislike, but I don't use the word hate and I encourage my children not to use the word hate. I might disagree with people and I might be disappointed and hurt, but I don't necessarily think people are born evil. I think they are conditioned by their environment. Mm -hmm. And I think even somebody like Putin, for whatever reason in his childhood, he has this obsession with a Stalin-like, Hitler-like energy. And he thinks that that to him is power. There is a lot of humanity for some reason that is missing, I believe, in my opinion. And... Mm -hmm. Is there room for forgiveness? I don't know, because I am so, in a lot of ways, biased, obviously, because my family has been through this in World War II. My, you know, my uncles were murdered in Ukraine because of Stalin. My, so I would like to be a bigger person and say that I can... After all this is done, I can say I forgive everyone, especially the man who led the charge, but I'm not sure I can, honestly. And I'm a really accepting person, but I think there is so much hatred right now mm -hmm. that being thrown at Ukraine, it, mm -hmm. it makes me sad on a cellular level. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot separate. are um, cooks who are getting together. There's a, a movement um, is, that, is being, that is happening right now in London that was spearheaded by my friend Olya Hercules, and she's doing Cook for Ukraine with um, Alyssa Timoshinka and all of these amazing chefs who are creating these moments of community spirit and you know have getting charity getting charity donations for the mm. help like the relief aid in ukraine um there are artists who are setting uh, ukrainian artists who are still in ukraine some of whom are actually hiding in bomb shelters still trying to do their art who are setting up charity you know uh, fundraisers with their art on etsy etsy is home to so many ukrainian artists it's incredible really? ceramists, painters, you know, there are people now reaching out to, uh, for translation work, you know, so they're reaching out to authors who, you know, and they're asking them if they have any more stories about Ukraine and, you know, something that could appeal to a wider audience. I, I've been asked loads of times to kind of write certain pieces about, you know, who we are and what our traditions are and what the landscape is like and what the, you know, all of these things are 
what is going to eventually drown out all of the hate. Mm. And isn't that the case though? In any global kind of crisis, you want love to drown out the hate. You want light to drive out the darkness. And I think right now people are really rallying. Like Ukrainians are organizing rallies in loads of different cities. Um, Galleries are holding um, charity kind of days for to sell Ukrainian work and to donate to U- Ukrainian charities. Um, the Metropolitan Opera in New York had a whole concert for benefit of Ukraine. They sang the national anthem even. Um, I'm actually helping a choir learn a Ukrainian song next week remotely on Zoom. There is a choir in London made up of refugees and they are so sweet and wonderful. And they're like, can you teach us the Carol of the Bells in Ukrainian? I'm like, yes, I can. <laughs> you know, so people are really just coming together in this way. And it's just such a show of solidarity, but also just kindness. You know, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I lead with compassion Um, because my ability to have compassion about other people's stories is then manifests itself in learning to listen to other people and then that allows me to feed my curiosity and then I have the courage to amplify them if they need so for me it's a domino effect but I lead with compassion because honestly everybody has a story that they want to tell and I think it's a shame sometimes when people feel unheard and unseen. And mm. I wish I could, I wish I could do that for every single person I meet. I, I'm not able to, but if I can do that for as many people as possible, then I've, you know, I've, I've would have left a legacy of, of compassion. Thank you for listening to this episode of the tenderness revolution. I hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us.